Kids, if I could have your attention, what if I told you I am God? Like really, what if I stood up here and told you right now, uh, good morning everyone, my name is Pastor Blake, uh, and I am, I'm God. I created you, and I created your family, and I created every human being that came before you, and every human being that came after you. Uh, I, I, uh, I created the mountains. I created, y- y'all didn't know this, I created the oceans, and I created the weather, and I like it hot here in Houston. Uh, and I am eternal, and I am infinite. I exist outside of time and space. I am all-powerful, and I am all-knowing. Okay, kids, what if I stood up here, and I told you that, and I was really serious? Like, you could, like, oh, wow, he means it. Okay, what would you do? What would you do if I stood up here, and I said that to you, and I really meant it? <laughs> that would be one option. Okay, one option, I guess, Teddy says, is that he say, I don't believe you. Okay, we'll, we'll, come, we'll come back to that one. Here's, you've basically got two options. If I stood up here and tell you, hey, I'm God, one option is you could choose to believe me. And just play with me here. If you believe I am God, what would you do? <laughs> Put me to the test? Oh, well, that's, uh, okay, that's maybe in the, I think you're still on that I don't believe you option. Um, but what if you really, really believed me? No testing needed. I mean, if you believed I'm God, would you come next Sunday to hear me again? If you believe, come on, if I'm God, and you really believe I'm God, yeah, I think you, if you're like, oh my God, I didn't know this, but Pastor Blake is God. Well, I got to go back next Sunday. I got to hear what he has to say. And if you really think I'm God, then you better also worship me. You better worship me as God. Okay, other option is, where I think y'all are all leaning, is you don't believe me. You don't believe I'm God. Okay, then what would you do if you were there and you're, and you're saying, Teddy said, I'm going to test you. I don't think you're God. What else? What's in a, would you come back next Sunday if I stood up here and said, y'all, I'm him. Would you come back next Sunday? No. You should run away because you think I'm bananas. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. Crazy. Like, no, that's not, and never, ever come back. Okay, but if I said I am God, and you don't believe me, you know what you would not say? You would not say, hmm, Pastor Blake claims to be God. That's a little cray-cray, but he is a pretty good teacher. He had some really good things to say about life and how to live. You wouldn't say that. You're either going to say, whoa, he's God, and we've got to worship him, or you would say, nuts, we're never going back there. Stay away from that guy. Okay, y'all, kids, what person said that about himself? What person showed up and said, oh, by the way, I am God? Jesus. Y'all, Jesus stood, Jesus stood before a bunch of people and said, hey, guess what? I am God. And he was probably a little shorter than me. And he probably had a beard. But he looked like a normal dude. And he stood in front of everybody and said, by the way, I created everything. I'm infinite. I'm eternal. 
and you're all mine. Now, if Jesus said that stuff about himself, you've got the same two choices with Jesus. Either you run away because you think he's nuts, or you run to him because you think he really is who he said he is, that he's God in the flesh. Uh, and uh, you don't say, hmm, I don't think Jesus is really God, but wow, he's got some really good advice on life. No, no. Either you run away. And so kids, this is what we're talking about today. If you think, if, you, if Jesus said who he said he is, you either got to run away from this church thing because you think Jesus is wrong, or you've got to run to this church thing and be with us all the time, every Sunday that we gather to worship because you believe that Jesus is who he said he is. And you believe it when he says that he loves you so much, he lived for you and he died for you, and he was raised for you, and that he is really in heaven right now, and he is really with you right now, everywhere you go, watching over you, loving you, taking care of you. And we follow him, and we worship him. That's what we're going to talk about today. If we really believe Jesus is who he said he is, and he really is our Lord, and we really do follow him. We're, we're in our series in the Old Testament book of Zechariah, so just to uh, catch everyone up, get us all on the same page, Israel had been taken into captivity by the world empire power, Babylon. So actually God brings Babylon to judge his people. They, they, Babylon takes Israel away into captivity for 70 years, and then God brings them back by, through Persia. Babylon was the empire, and then Persia rises up, and they take over the world, you know, that world back then, uh, and they free the Israelites. They say to the Jews, hey, if you want to go back to your homeland, go for it. You want to go back to Jerusalem, rebuild it, go for it. You want to go back and rebuild your temple, worship your God, go for it. You have our permission. And so a group of Jews goes, they go back, and they start rebuilding the temple, and they meet opposition, and they meet suffering everywhere, all the time, constantly. And it's this thing of, God, this is what you brought us back for? Like, this is impossible, like we're dying here. People are, we're getting persecuted. We're in trouble all the time. Our lives are at stake. And this is what you've saved us for and called us to. And so God sends his prophet Zechariah to the people uh, to tell them, I am with you. Um, and Zachar, the, way this the way this plays out is God gives Zechariah a series of night visions, seven night visions. One more time, we are going to be in the fifth vision. We've been in it three times. Last Sunday, we, we returned to the actual first vision. Um, we've been in it three times. It's, y'all, it's so awesome. It's just so we could be in it all spring. Uh, but here's the vision in summary. If you're just joining us, we'll catch you up right here. This is weird vision where Zachariah sees these trees and this huge menorah lampstand. And the trees are feeding oil into this lampstand. And here's the spoiler. The olive trees, they are Christ. They're Jesus. The oil flowing from the trees into the lampstand is the Holy Spirit. And he gives to the lampstand uh, 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 this oil. The lampstand is the church. And Jesus is recreating the church in his image of glory. I mean, the lampstand, it looks like it's got branches. It's all gold matching the oil. It looks like the trees on both sides of it. And so Jesus is recreating the church in his image. Uh, so we're reading the fifth vision. And then what we're going to do is we're going to read a passage from the very end of the Gospel of Matthew that the church has affectionately uh, come to uh, refer to as the Great Commission. 
And Jesus, it, it, you know, at this point in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus has just risen from the dead. And he tells his disciples what is going to happen now. And so last Sunday was Easter, resurrection stuff. Uh, and so this is going to get us from what we were doing last Sunday to what we're going to be doing next Sunday. Uh, and just, uh, just to give credit where it's due, I've been relying heavily on Old Testament scholar Meredith Klein for all of the wonderful exegesis of what's going on here. And I've been super helped by one of his former students, Todd Bordeaux, who pastors another cornerstone here in Houston. Uh, and uh, just same thing today. And I've been super helped by one of my mentor friends, uh, John Stone. So very thankful for all those, all those men. Uh, please stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to be in Zechariah 4, then jump to the New Testament, Matthew 28. Please follow along with me. It says this, And the angel who talked with me came again and woke me like a man who is awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, What do you see? And I said, I see and behold a lampstand, all of gold, with a bowl on the top of it, and seven lamps on it, with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on the top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl, and the other is on its left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? And then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? I said, no, my Lord. And then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hand shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever is despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord, which range through the whole earth. And then I said to what are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? And the second time I answered and said to him, what are these two branches of the olive trees, which are beside the two golden pipes from which the golden oil is poured out? And he said to me, you do not know what these are. I said, no, my Lord. Then he said, these are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Matthew 28. And when they saw Jesus, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Hey, so the fifth vision in Old Testament Zechariah, the fifth vision is fulfilled in the New Testament Gospel of Matthew, in the Great Commission. Like this stuff that Jesus says to his disciples right after his resurrection from the dead is all there in that fifth vision of Zechariah. So in Zechariah, you look at that Zechariah passage in verse 10, it says this, these seven eyes, these seven are the eyes of the Lord, which range through the whole earth. And you want to say, what is that? That's weird. Seven, you know, what has seven eyes? Uh, it's symbolic. The number seven symbolizes completeness. 
which means God's, quote, seven eyes ranging over the whole earth is simply talking about God's sovereign superintendence encompassing all the earth. He's over all of it. And then the vision in Zechariah ends with the emphatic claim that there is one and only one. I think I'm getting a little feedback. I'm going to back up. There, there, the passage ends with that. There's this emphatic claim that there's one and only one Lord of the whole earth. There's one Lord of the whole earth. And then you skip ahead to the New Testament, Gospel of Matthew, Jesus rises from the dead, and he says in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, that he is the Lord of the whole earth. All authority in heaven and on earth. Jesus' resurrection proves he is all-powerful. More powerful than those who tried to kill him, more powerful than the religious leaders and the mob, more powerful than Pilate and the Roman soldiers, more powerful than death. The awesome imagery Zechariah pictures, Jesus fulfills. Here it is in all of its awesomeness. And we didn't read all of Matthew 28. If you back up to the beginning of Matthew 28, you read about two women, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James, showing up at the tomb. The tomb of Jesus. This is the third day, and all of a sudden, there is a terrible earthquake. And then it says, an angel shoots down from heaven like lightning. And this angel tosses aside this giant tombstone that's blocking the tomb, and he flops himself down on it like he's mocking the tomb. And there is a guard of Roman soldiers there. And they see all of this. They witness this, and they're staring at this angel who, it says, he looks like lightning. And it says that they are going into shock. It says these Roman shoulders, soldiers are having heart attacks. That they are trembling so bad with fear. And if you're hearing this, or you're, you're reading this for the first time, you're, you're reading this, you're hearing this for the first time, you're thinking, <laughs> yes, yes, Rome is the worst. And, and you're, like, you're like, here we go, here we go. And you want these angels to look at these Roman soldiers and say, hey, you can be scared later. Get yourself to Pilate and tell them Jesus has won. And tell Pilate to tell Caesar his days are done. Jesus is risen, and his kingdom is here. And that's exactly what did not happen. These terrifying angels, they don't speak to the soldiers. They tell the women, don't be afraid. And then even more unexpectedly, they tell the women to go tell the disciples that Jesus is risen. He is already risen like the angel that rolls back the stone, he's not rolling it back so Jesus can get out. Jesus is already out. He rolls back the stone so the disciples can get in and see for themselves that Jesus is risen and he's out. And the angel tells Mary Magdalene, tell the disciples Jesus is risen and he will meet them on the mountain in Galilee. And that should, all of us should go, hmm, hmm. Like if anyone was expecting a glorious return of Jesus, and no one was. 
But when you, but when you hear it's happening, this is not the shock and awe. Like these are not the fireworks that you would be expecting. Like first unexpected moment here, the disciples have to rely on the witness of two women that Jesus has raised from the dead. Which back then, a woman's word did not count as legal testimony in court. In the second century, there was a guy named Celsus, a Greek writer, and he hated, hated, loathed Christianity. And one of the reasons he rejected the resurrection is because it was entrusted to women. He writes this, After death, Jesus rose again and showed the marks of his punishment and how his hands had been pierced. But who actually saw this? A hysterical female, as you say, and perhaps some other one of those who were deluded by such sorcery. Yet Jesus disagrees. Jesus does not think so. Other unexpected moment. Another private meeting. Not like, not, uh, the disciples are like, another private meeting. And it's not a private meeting with the disciples in Jerusalem. Am I there? In Jerusalem where others can see like that you're having a private meeting and they're jealous and uh, scared that they're not invited to this private meeting. No, you want us to meet you in private on that random mountain in Galilee where no one will see us or you. It's also unexpected. It's so, so unexpected that by the time that they see the resurrected Jesus, verse 17, they worship and a lot of them doubted. Like they're worshiping and they're super confused because like you are the resurrected son of God. Like you're back, you're the resurrected son of God, Lord Christ, but you told the women to, to, to tell us, to meet you privately away on a mountain, and, and now uh, establish your kingdom. You're, you're telling us to go what? Like, make disciples and baptize them and teach them what you taught us? Like, what, what, are you, what are you doing? You're not acting like you won. This is all very confusing. Uh, this past Friday, Ryan and my Christmas present to each other was to go to see our, our favorite band. You can ask me who it was later, right after this, if you want to know. I'm not going to name the band here because it got personal. Because we got uh, pre-show access uh, to Q&A with the band with like a handful of few other people. We asked the lead singer uh, what his major influences were growing up and uh, who he liked to listen to now. And he told us that he grew up in a small town in Alabama and he started singing in his church choir when he was just four. Uh, and it was a very, very, very strict household. His mom would not let him listen to anything, any kind of music, but gospel music. Uh, so he grew up only listening to gospel music, and he would sneak in some Sam Cooke and Otis Redding and the Stylistics, which he said Stylistics, and the rest of the band was like, I didn't know you grew up on the stylistics. Yeah, like, you know, everyone's learning something here. Um, he grew up in the stylistics where he learned how to go low and how to do falsetto, which I won't do. Uh, this guy, this guy's now in his mid-30s. So this isn't like forever ago, you know, this old rocker. No, this is not back in the day. He did not hear a Beatles album until he was 19. 
And this band, you know, as they're up and coming, they open for the Rolling Stones in a giant stadium. And, and this guy is like, <laughs> he's, he's really not heard much of the Rolling Stones. The rest of the band is hyperventilating that they are opening for the Stones. And, and he's walking around like, yeah, this is, this is cool, right? Like, this is a big deal, right? Like, the Stones, like, they are a big deal, right? And his church growing up, it, he said, it was fire and brimstone. So he heard the gospel in the music, but not from the pulpit. So he never drank, never smoked, and he still doesn't. And you're like, you're a, you're a rock and roll, you're a musician. Like, how can, how can this guy be a musician? Like, how can someone who is so talented, whose voice is so beautiful, whose music is so full of soul, be equipped with seemingly so little. It seems like Jesus is asking so much right here at the beginning. He is back, and it seems like he is asking so much in equipping the disciples with so little to go and build the kingdom, to go and make disciples. And it begs the question, what makes disciples? Jesus says what makes disciples is the gospel of Jesus. Like, it's his life. It's his death. It's his resurrection for you. That the gospel is, this gospel is for kids and it's for mature Christians. But there is this idea. There is this idea uh, uh, that you become a Christian through the gospel and then, okay, now let's grow up. Like, let's grow up and move beyond the gospel and let's get mature. But that, that thing of grace is the thing that grows you over a lifetime. It is not, I, I became a Christian, now disciple me. It's how I became a Christian is how I am discipled. Like, you spend your life trying to plumb the depths of that message of the gospel of grace. Something like, We've talked so much about the ocean. Uh, we've only studied 5% of the oceans. 5%. We know more about the brain than we do about the ocean. And your scientists and doctors will tell you, we don't know much about the brain. We know like about, about 30% of the, about the brain. If all, it, so there's this statistic. If all the humans on the earth, everyone living right now, gave their life to studying the ocean, it would take us all something like 700 years if we were all doing it all the time, it would take us something like 700 years to explore and discover and study all of it. As in, you can't get to the bottom of the ocean, literally, figuratively. Like you can't plumb the depths of it. And it's the same here. If you want to get mature, if you want to make disciples, run to the gospel because you will never plumb the depths of the gospel of grace. Like no one gets to the bottom of grace this is how John Stone says it. I love it. He says, you grow from it. You don't grow away from it. Ever. This thing of grace. Case in point, uh, the people that you know the best, you have the least amount of grace for. <laughs> your family, kids, your, your friends. Uh, and it should, be the, it should be the opposite. Growing in grace for those you love and for strangers and for enemies, that's maturity. 
and teaching the people to observe when he says, and, and go, and you teach the people to observe all that Jesus has commanded the disciples, that brings us right back to the beginning of all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. So you follow him, observing all that. I mean, just think about that. Like, he commands you. Who commands other people? A Lord, God. Like, you observe all that he has commanded because he really is who he said he is. He really is your Lord. And what grows you in this life and enables you to follow him from beginning to end is grace. As in, it's this thing of like, okay, where's this coming from? Like, you want us to go build your church. And what are you giving us to work with? And it's like Jesus is standing there and saying, what am I getting? Look at me. I'm giving me, me, my life, my death, my resurrection, me. That's what I'm giving you. Meredith Klein says it this way. says, the risen Savior stood before his disciples as the victor, the slayer of the dragon, the conqueror of Satan and his power of the con- I keep going out. The conqueror of Satan and his power of death. He was the living one. He was dead. Behold his hands and his side, but was now alive forevermore, possessor of the keys of death and Hades. He was the son of man exalted to the pinnacle of heaven with authority over all creation. This self-identification of Christ the Lord, you know, right here in the hour of his ascension, confronting his disciples with who he was, what he had done for them, that constitutes his claim on their covenantal confidence and commitment and love. As in, it's this thing of, it's all very confusing, but you want us to go build the kingdom with the gospel. Okay. And so they went, and they preached the gospel, and they planted churches, and they baptized, and they taught to follow Jesus. And that does not mean that they should expect, here's something else unexpected, they should not expect that there, there still won't be people who reject this gospel. There are still going to be people who reject this thing, who reject Jesus, who reject them, who reject the church. It's not like everyone now, don't expect everyone to believe this stuff. Something else unexpected is that Jesus wins. He comes back from the dead, sends his gospel into the world, and there is still going to be a people who refuse to believe this. It's here in this passage. The Roman soldiers, they go tell the Jewish religious leaders what's happened. And the Jewish religious leaders pay the soldiers not to tell anybody. And the soldiers saw it. The Jewish religious leaders heard it, and together they covered it up because there are still people who are going to refuse to believe this. They all, they all know there is no body. The choice becomes believe the truth or believe a lie. The opposition continues. The darkness continues. Evil does not end in this age. And yes, Jesus is risen. And yes, he reigns in heaven. And his promise to us and his warning to the world is he is with us to the very end. I mean, here's a, 
Okay, so what? Here's a so what for us. Because some hear this great commission and they say, yeah, I'll do this. Sure, yeah, great, I'll do this. Like, as in like, I, I will do this. Way too many individuals read this individualistically like Jesus gave the great commission to a bunch of individuals. He didn't. He gave the great commission to his church through the leaders of the church, his apostles. Easy tip off there is individuals don't go around baptizing individuals. Let me say, well, I'm still. <laughs> individuals don't go around baptizing individuals. Don't do that. The church baptizes because you are baptized into the church. So it's wrong. It's actually a terrible thing to say that you don't need the church. To neglect the church is to neglect Jesus and, and those he promises to be with because he promises to be with his church. And so it's this thing of we worship God alone, but we don't worship him alone. See that? Like we worship God alone, but we don't worship him alone. We do it together. Others hear this great commission and they say, wait, 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 you're not going to do this thing, Jesus? Like, we're doing this? As, as if Jesus was leaving this up to us, as if Jesus has left us here alone. And his promise is, no, together we worship God alone, but we are not left alone. He is with us to the end. So, <laughs> set, aside, set aside politics here. It's a great way to start a story. Set aside politics and enter the story. It's John Stone's story here, if you know John Stone. Okay, uh, you, can, you can call it an insurrection. Uh, you can call it a protest. Once again, set aside politics, enter the story. Uh, because, uh, one Wednesday... Because uh, really, it's not even about what happened on this Wednesday, but it gets us there. One Wednesday, a bunch of people entered the Capitol, and somebody might, uh, somebody might ask, this is what John Stone did, okay, but why didn't they enter the White House? And someone then might say, well, it's because they agreed with the guy in the White House. And we could ask that question too, another good question, but we're not going to stay with this one, okay? Just stay with this question, this <laughs> just setting this up. Why didn't they go to the White House? Uh, it's because you can't get in the White House. You can get into the Capitol. You cannot get into the White House. A few people have snuck in via a dinner party, but they go, like, they go through security, they go through all, and then they get found out like, oh, you really don't have an invitation, you're not supposed to be here. Uh, only, uh, actually, uh, there's only a handful like five, five people who have ever actually breached security at the White House. Hey, one was a guy who built a self, uh, self-built helicopter, and he flew so low, he literally flew under their radar, and he got just over the fence, and that's as far as he got. He landed in the lawn. He had no, he, nothing to fear. He didn't want to do anything. That was it, and he got in a lot of trouble. Another guy uh, pole vaulted over the fence, <laughs> And he landed in a tree, and he had a very bad day. <clears throat> another, <clears throat> another one was a three-year-old, uh, three-year-old toddler who escaped from his parents, 
and just backed in through the fence, which was obviously not toddler-proof, and he made it onto the lawn. He's just walking around on the lawn. Uh, and uh, very well-trained dogs because they did not kill him. Uh, because another guy who was more nefarious <clears throat> did get through security, and he got it to the lawn, and he was warmly greeted by the dogs, the attack dogs, security dogs. Uh, another guy got through security somehow and was met instantly by large men in suits. You can't, none of them got into the, you can't get into the White House because that's where the president lives. And that's where the first lady lives. And if they've got kids, that's where the president's family lives. You can't touch the White House because it means something to our country. It means something to the state. Now, if the White House means something to those overseeing it, how much more does the house of God mean to the one overseeing it? Like, how much more does the church mean to Jesus? Uh, infinitely more. Only a few people have ever breached the White House. <clears throat> it has only ever suffered a few disasters. It has burned down before. And, and you, it, the White House, could, it could. It's done, it's happened before. It could, it could burn down again. The house that will never, ever, 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 ever burn down is the church. Because Jesus will never leave her. Because Jesus is always with her. Always. And the church is where Jesus dwells. God will not abide someone attacking his home. The church is Jesus' body. God will not abide someone hurting his body. The church is Jesus' bride. Don't put your hands on Jesus' bride. Like, people do leave a church because of <clears throat> X. Like, there are reasons, okay? And, and we want to say, okay, like, okay, go, go in the peace of Christ. And there are other great churches, and, and like, go and, and find that other great church and be a part of it. People leave a church because it's not really a church. Like, they, they don't preach the gospel, uh, they, they preach self-help or they preach a political social ad agenda or they preach the law. So yes, for sure get out of that thing and get into a church, a gospel preaching church. Uh, for those of us inside the church, you've got to be careful before you create division in the church. We have got to be careful, you know, this is like local church, the regional church, the greater church. Like, we have got to be careful within the church, splitting the church, because it's Christ's bride. For those on the outside, the warning is, be careful before you persecute the church. You are putting your hands on another man's wife. There will be opposition both from within and without, but Jesus' promise is his house, it will be finished, and the gospel is enough to build it, beginning to end. I'm going to end with another quote here from uh, Meredith Climbs, just because it's so good. It says this, Jesus' promised presence would be in and through the Spirit whom he promised to send, the spirit of truth sent forth from the Father to witness to the Son, teaching the witnessing church all things and guiding it into all truth. 
our Lord's covenantal commitment identifies him as the realization of Zechariah's vision. He is the source of the oil channeled to the lampstand in a perpetual supply unto the end of the age. He is the prophet. He is the mediator of the Spirit. The seven eyes of the Lord whose sovereign superintendence encompasses all the earth, matching the scope of the church mission to all the nations. The Spirit might by which the hostile world mountain is leveled. Who are you, O great mountain? And the exaltation of the house of God accomplished. Jesus has done it. He will see it unto completion. Praise him that we get to be a part of it. Praise him uh, that we are his mission. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel. We praise you as our risen Lord and Savior. And we thank you that the gospel is sufficient for the mission you have given your church. That you would continue to grow us together as you grow us out into the world. And Father, help us, bless us to continue to always run back to the gospel to know that we will never plummet steps, to see it from the beginning of Scripture to the end, knowing that you are with us in this right now and forever. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.